Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, please like and subscribe. Now, the British media is the second most privileged at the national level industry of the country after medicine. It's supposed to be a pillar of democracy, but I think many would argue it's a pillar of the establishment. The one thing they don't like, and I speak as someone who's been in the British media for a very long time now, don't like privilege being mentioned when it comes to them. Now, I'm joined by who I can only describe as the piss boiler in chief, (laughs) Mick Wright. Um, who does a very brilliant blog, uh, which I will, here we go, brokenbottleboy.substack.com, which keeps a, keeps a watchful eye on the British media in ways that many people in the British media do not like. Um, and the reason he's particularly the piss boiler in chief um, at, at, at the current moment is he's done this map, which he will not be able to watch properly. Uh, I will put this in the description of the video and the podcast uh, because it's just so big. And it is basically, it's the Nepo baby map of the British media. It shows like a load of journalists and who their famous parents slash grandparents, including grandparents, brothers, siblings, sisters, um, you name it. And it's a network basically of just how incestuous the British media is. Hello, Mick. Hello, how's it going? Why did you do it? Well, I did it because um, uh, New York Magazine in December last year did a did a thing about um, Hollywood Nepo babies, which then um, uh, usually quite often with the British media, what you'll have is follow on pieces from stuff. So there were loads of pieces in the British media about the New York Magazine Nepo babies piece, uh, and they and the, all those pieces focused on either the entertainment industry or lawyers or or politics or, or some bits of corporate life, but never mentioned uh, journalism. So the Times did a big article about it, not a mention of journalists. You go into the comments under there and the readers are going, well, hang on, what about Giles Corrin? And what about uh, Victoria Corrin Mitchell, who got her start writing a column in the Times when she was like 15? Like these, what about these things? And it was just clear to me, well, these aren't going to get mentioned. Even when Vice did an article about Nepo Babies, it covered entertainment Nepo Babies in the UK, but nothing about journalism. And the reason is pretty clear. I mean, I, I used to work in... Um, the more mainstream part of the British media. And when I worked there, there's no way I'd have been able to write about nepotism within it uh, in the way I have done, because as someone made a point uh, this, after I put this map out, oh, well, you never work in journalism again. It was a massive amerta type thing. Like, how dare you do that? And of course, I know, you know, in the past when you've mentioned it, you just got a pile of abuse on you because people just don't like to talk about it and it isn't talked about. So that's why I did it. I mean, I should say, I can't go into too much detail, but they've repeatedly tried to have me fired over it, Mick. Yeah. Uh, pointing so out the go. privileged nature of the British media, all the kind of vast amounts of racism churned out by the British media industry. Yeah. They don't like it up them is all I'm saying, and they will try and... I, I can't be fired because I've burnt all the bridges any yeah. already. So there are, there's no more bridges to burn. I, I just live on a burning bridge instead. Um, so Mick, why does it matter? Well, I think I, I think it matters because the, um, it, people don't actually know about this. People sort of make an assumption that they do that they kind of know a bit about it. But uh, part of the response from this is so many people who 
um, might patronizingly be called civilians by people who were within the media don't actually know the extent of this. You know, there are a lot of people who do things like conceal who their parents are by changing their name or or by just never talking about it. And it matters because um, I'm not saying that everyone on this map is none of them are talented or none of them are capable. Or none of them have, could have been journalists without their without the influence of their parents or their un uncles or great grandparents or grandparents. But what I am saying is that it has an effect on who can get into the industry if there are so many people whose families uh, have that effect you know um it was talking to someone earlier who was told oh this person was uh, nearly fired but their per but their family member is so important they can't be fired that person's still working in the british media uh you know in a prominent position they should have been fired but they weren't because uh, their influence is too strong so it matters because this is an underlying structure going on in the media and the media matters more than other industries because it has a an outsized effect on the way society works and the conversations we have and what voices are listened to that's why it matters and it's so interesting as well to see people in our industry who haven't benefited from it still leaping in front to defend people who have benefited from it I mean, it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, as you said, I've, I've raised this. I remember back in 2018 when I went through how privileged the British media is. And at the time, for example, 7% um, of the British population were privately educated. According to the Sutton Trust in 2016, 51% of Britain's top journalists are privately educated. It's got worse since then, actually. Um, but the other point is, when you talk about, I mean, this incestuous nature, um, so, for example, the rise of unpaid internships often means, um, and this has been talked about a bit, to be fair, just generally, you, you can, if you live off the bank of mum and dad, you can do an unpaid internship, which gets you a foot in the door of an industry like the media. Same in fashion, etc. Um, but also, those unpaid internships are often exploited in a nepotistic way. So journalists in the national media will basically get their kids, their nephews, their nieces, like a relative in through an unpaid internship and that is their gateway into the world of the media yeah and they're in through that and then very quickly they move to being in paid in, in, in into a paid position there um you know it, and, and i think that the, the the point about the the uh, there being too many people from who are privately educated in the media is a really good one i am i was privately educated i went to set for grammar school and but the but once when when i went to university i went to cambridge after i finished there my parents did not have money to support me in an internship or anything like that so i went and worked on a trade magazine called pensions world who had you know so th that was interesting as well my route in was not i get to do an internship because i couldn't afford to um so i i, I always want to mention that because yesterday um uh the the grandson of roald dahl who is uh who is married into the uh, jordanian royal family sort of uh threw that out as he thought it was a gotcha for me like well you went to private school and say a i've never said i didn't and i think it's important not to hide it but b uh you know my grandparent wasn't a famous writer i don't have any family connections the point i was making was about family connections in the media so it was a very interesting sort of smear type tactic being used there by you know the literal grandson of, of a very famous person who's part of a, a, a middle eastern royal family 
great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I mean, one of the things that really matters, it strikes me, is you get groupthink. Basically, you get lots of people from quite similar backgrounds, including those who've partly inherited their positions, let's be honest with you, as in they wouldn't be there if it wasn't for their family connections, unless these are social Darwinists who think that actually the best, like the pure-blooded are rising to the top, that it's somehow in their DNA. And yeah, I mean, in which case it's, it's, gone, it's gone a little bit dark is all I'd say. So deep down, they know they're there because of family connections to a large degree and other people would be taking their place if it wasn't for that. They know that. Doesn't mean they're not talented in some cases, some more than others, I would argue. Um, but you get basically this group thing, because if you get people from similar backgrounds, who reinforce each other, because, you know, we look at the world, don't we, partly through the prism formed by our experiences. And if you're from similar backgrounds and you've had similar experiences, you won't necessarily understand what it's like to be stuck on a council housing waiting list or to, you know, to, to, to suffer, you know, the impact of rising energy bills or to be a private renter. That's a big crisis. It's very rarely mentioned probably in the media. I mean, that's the issue, isn't it? What issues are prioritised and what aren't and how politics also is seen um, or, or how politics is talked about is through the lens of of a group thing where people mutually reinforce how they each see the world. Yeah, I think it's absolutely that. And and when you talk using housing as an example, um, you know we have a huge landlordism is like an absolute scourge in the UK, and um, there's a general sort of tendency to treat being a landlord as a totally cool and fine thing uh, amongst the media class because lots of their families are landlords. I mean, of course, it's a problem in Parliament as well with you know private landlords on the front benches of both parties, but that's an issue. The other thing I think that happens, and what's interesting when I um look at people I know, you know, ex-colleagues who've come at me over this, uh, is that even people who have not benefited from this, once they're inside and they, they've made their friends with people who have benefited from it, they will um, not criticise it. They, you know, there's a real kind of um, sense of, of um, you know, media class solidarity. It's the one class solidarity that that seems to be consistent in 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 uh, Britain these days. I mean, it, you made me laugh, I have to say, when you wrote in your blog, which everyone should check out, obviously in support. As you'd expect, it's been this is your your map. Um, as you'd expect, it's been received by Britain's rhino skin giant journal source with a quite dignity for which they are renowned. I found it interesting when I brought up just the basic facts of how privileged the. British media is just objectively using statistics. It was they treat they acted a lot of people as though I'd gone up to each of their mothers and told their mothers to go f themselves. That they were like, oh my god, and they were angry and abusive, and obviously made lots of complaints to my newspaper in an attempt to um, intimidate and threaten me. Basically, <laughs> that's what they did. Um, but it's interesting because the British media, on a daily basis, throws all sorts of venom on on vulnerable and voiceless people, migrants, refugees 
at the moment, trans people, historically gay people, black people. I mean, they've just gone through a long, long list. That's truth mm. to power for them in many cases. But if you get, I mean, and what, you know, another really good example, Giles Corrin, who is one of these um, Nepo babies you talked about. A year ago, he ridiculed someone I knew, well, Dawn Foster, former colleague of mine at The Guardian, who died at the age of 33, 34. Um, and he went on and just ridiculed about going to hell and laughed at her dying. And almost nobody spoke out. But if you speak out against the British media and, and how privileged it is, they will go ape. What does that tell us? Yeah, I mean, Dawn was, Dawn was a, a friend of mine too. Uh, I, last time I saw her in person was at, at the funeral of my other friend, um, Lyra McKee, so uh, who, uh, another working class journalist. Um, I met her, yeah, uh, wonderful woman. You know, she was an incredible woman. And and that is another issue for me. when I Because I, I, a lot of times when I do this stuff, I do the writing, I do I do think of Lyra and I do think of, um, of Dawn and, and I, I've written about Dawn quite often it, because they should have been a lot bigger in the industry than they ever than they were because uh, this is an industry where people like Giles Curran can steal a living. Giles Curran would not be in his job if he were not um, if he hadn't been the son of Alan Curran. I, I, by the way, Alan Curran not a person who came from privilege. Alan Curran a person who who became uh, a very famous uh, writer and humorist and journalist because he was just very good at writing jokes and columns. And, and that's justified. And the, the point f for me with someone like Giles Curran is he, he he has been in the last chance saloon so many times. What he said about Dawn was horrendous. But before that, he'd written on Twitter that he would like to um, kill and sexually assault a neighbor for his neighbor's child for playing the drums. He's written racist columns that's still on the Times website. And every week he's on Times Radio and people like Stig Abel, they're chuckling away at him. Stuff is a problem. It shows. A real contempt for, for everyone else, for the readers, for the audiences, um, because these people don't care. Yeah, Giles Corrin actually, I'm not going to you know get out there, the violin here, but once he wrote, my prediction for next year is Owen Jones getting a peerage in Corbyn's resignation honours and becoming a fat old lord, getting smashed on Madeira in the morning and chasing young researchers with tight bottoms up and down the corridors all afternoon. I was told repeatedly that wasn't actually homophobic, and then Giles Corrin played the victim by claiming that my followers had turned up his house and started haranguing his wife. I don't actually think that ever happened myself, but there we go. Um, just finally, Mick, um, will things, do you think, ever change? Because a lot of this, you know, I mean, I feel sometimes like a, a kind of a glitch, I'd, you know, kind of, I mean, because a lot of my colleagues hate me. I mean, let's be honest, I'm not mm. revealing anything. They they hate me. Um, and there are very, very few dissident voices in the mainstream media. You're someone who's been told, essentially, you're a very talented writer and all the rest of it. You've been told you've got no future in the British media. Um, but there are so many people, talented people out there, working class people, people of colour, who just don't have connections, don't have privilege. And a lot of people will look at this and think, well, why should I bother? This is rigged against me from, from day one. Um, nothing will ever change. Yeah, uh, I can understand that feeling. I think it is. I think it's changing slightly because it, it, it's taking a long time and it will take a lot longer than people predict. But the, the, 
the media as it exists now is falling apart over time. It is falling apart. It cannot continue to exist as the way it does. The finances don't work. The structures don't work. The traditional columnist model does won't work for much longer. Um, and there are loads of great examples of outlets who are doing different things. You know, who I, I think of people. I, I, first person thing that comes to mind is something like Galdem. You know, uh, there was a uh, they they've just been. Um, uh, in a report about them being regulated by impress and and, and trying to do a different uh, work in a different way. So there are tons of outlets and I, I could name tons of others as well who are bringing new journalists in, in who are doing Navarra. amazing things. Navarra, exactly. Um, there are loads of things that that are out there are doing different models, finding different ways. I think uh, it was interesting today that the Press Gazette was in its newsletter was kind of being very sneery about Substack. Another thing that they don't like because they see these uh, new models coming up or, or different ways of making money and, and producing things. Before I had a Substack, it was very hard for me to do independent uh, journalism writing, and now it's slightly getting better. I, I'm, I'm not earning uh, huge money, but I'm earning some money from doing something for an audience that wants what I'm producing. Of course, that's described as fringe views by the Press Gazette, though, so... You know, unlike, that unlike, you will. unlike whipping up bigotry and hatred against Muslims, refugees, and migrants, that, uh, that's that's yeah. Amazing. Melanie Phillips is is not a is not a purveyor of fringe views apparently, or neither is Rod Little, you know, a man who wrote in um, in in a national publication that he couldn't be a teacher because he would um, have sex with pupils. So yeah, there you go. Respect, respectable, respectable mainstream publications, highly highly unfringe. Yeah, exactly. Well, better to be on the fringe than stuck with those awful people. Um, Mick, it's been an absolute honour. Do please, everyone, do support um, Mick's brilliant um, Substack, um, um, Conquest of the Useless there. Uh, Brokenbottle.com, uh, brokenbottle.com.substack.com. That wasn't hard. I'll let you go, Mick, because that piss is not going to boil itself. Please do like and subscribe, and I will see you all soon. Cheers, Mick. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.